Hey, this is Universa. I'm here on another episode of Serving Up Comics. Um, we're very anticipated for the uh, arrival of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So we had a special guest drop by, um, my friend and leading a Dicko expert, um, comic book artist, Javier Hernandez. How are you doing, Javier? Very good, Gene. Good to be here. And uh, yeah, talking some Ditko and Doctor Strange, that's not a hard thing to get me to do. Yeah, you're uh, a big Ditko fan, I see. I know um, he's had a lot of uh, influences, influence on your work, on, uh, you know, just you've been on panels talking about him at Long Beach Comic Con. So yeah, it's cool to uh, have you back on the podcast to uh, chat about that. Well, I, I I wrote the zine on Ditko, not the book, but uh, yeah, I did this. Uh, you don't know Ditko, uh, comic book size zine. Mm-hmm. I done a previous one a few years before, you know, like zine size, and then uh, decided to do like an expanded version, just you know, add a lot more pages, more content, mm-hmm. and actually debuted it. Uh, was it last year? Man, you know how things are. The last three years, it's a big yeah. time warp. Yeah, it was, it was last year. In Johnstown, Pennsylvania, oh, wow. uh, Steve Dickel's hometown, they held a um, the Bottle Works uh, Museum there, the big local museum. They held a special uh, month-long like Steve Dickel art tribute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Dickel family, the Dickel estate was uh, involved. They approved it. And um, yeah, I flew out to Johnstown. It was actually my first trip way out, you know, East Coast. It was also my first airplane trip and you know two three two years at least um so it's pretty exciting um so i debuted that zine there and uh, you know they, there was a big art show and um they had a they had a couple of panels during and that little dicko con that was that was the thing nice. uh, i think the last yeah the third the the last day of the the exhibit they held a dicko con you know in a, in a neighboring building so um yeah i i was uh, invited to participate i had a little table uh selling my comics but also the ditko zine and there were other people there selling a lot of dealers selling back issues focusing on ditko and then um a lot of other you know some other cartoonists and such so it was pretty neat i mean it's about you know going to the mecca for ditko yeah johnstown pennsylvania so mm-hmm. and, and i guess you know ditko passed away in 2018 so the uh family obviously the estate they're very interested in preserving the legacy of uh you know their brother their uncle mm-hmm. um whatever the relationships are in the various members there to uh preserve his legacy his whole legacy it's not i mean he's not just spider-man and dr strange which of course are spider-man obviously probably one of the top five mm-hmm. like fictional characters on the planet so that's definitely you know get his credit out there but they just want to preserve his whole entire 60-year legacy of all the work he's done so anyway I just wanted to bring that up, uh, talking about oh, of course. going to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I believe we talked about this um, in interviews with you before, but you know, there's just always been like a lot of misconceptions, a lot of um, just misreporting on Steve Ditko. Um, I think, as you said before, he was just, you know, a really private person. Um, you know, he just, he just didn't care to do, you know, didn't care for interviews. And, you know, he let his art and his work speak for itself. So, yeah, it's good to uh, have that um out there as well yeah yeah i mean yeah for decades the word reclusive hermit and then you know any and worse words uh yeah would always be thrown about because yeah he yeah like you just said very private like in this day and age i mean yeah i don't mind doing interviews i love doing i got social network presence everywhere but when someone doesn't do that you know they're they're weird they're not just oh he doesn't do it you know maybe we're Mm -hmm. maybe we're weird i don't know um (laughs) But yeah. he would communicate. He would communicate with fans, anybody who wrote him a letter, mm-hmm. an actual handwritten letter. Mm-hmm. He'll go to his, uh, you know, it'll come to his uh, studio office. They'll put it to the mail slot, and then he's got this pile of letters he goes through. I don't know if he had a routine, but you know, when he passed away, uh, his uh, brother and his two nephews, one of them, Mark, mm-hmm. um, I've got to luckily be befriend in the last two years. You know, they went to New York. Hey, we got to clean out, you know, the studio. When they got to the door of the studio, you know, unlocked it and such, trying to push that door open because, you know, what was on the floor was piles of piles of letters that wow. accumulated after Dicko passed 
I'm not sure how many weeks it was before they right. got there, whatever. Um, but that's amazing, you know, just the constant flow of letters because people didn't know he passed away. There was the regular amount of letters that showed up, whatever, every week. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty. I mean, that's an amazing thing, you know. Like, so don't don't tell me he doesn't talk to people. Yeah, you know, exactly. Communicated. Yeah, I think that I think there was like an infamous um, letter he had. Uh, to some fan back in the 60s about Spider-Man. I'm not sure if you know that story. Well, well I mean, which, yeah, which oh, letter? Like, I'm sure he got, like, Yeah, I think they were asking about uh, something about, like, the Green Goblin reveal or something, and I forgot what it was, but, yeah, he was just kind of, uh, you know, he uh, he communicated back, you know? Like, they were asking yeah. for his autograph with, you know, fans. Yeah, he would always write back, even if it's a no, I don't do autographs. And, you right. know, it's interesting because, you know, just, you know, the, the lost art of letter writing, you mm -hmm. write a letter and then you, uh, you sign it. And then in his case, he would, he, so he would sign the letter and then underneath you would print his name. So you are actually getting an autograph, but yeah. he's not, he's, yeah, I mean, but he's not meeting, a, I mean, that's just like, hey, this is how you write a letter and you sign off on it. So plenty of people have Steve Dicko autographs, you know, um, you know, kind of weird thing after he passed away, you'd see people selling the letters and, mm -hmm. you know, they highlight, they highlight the listing on, you know, Steve Dicko autograph. And then like you see, oh, it's your letter that you did. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, it's kind of like a Marvel, no prize, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although that was an empty envelope, right? This is right. Like, yeah. <laughs> but here yeah. you get a signature and his name in print. You're going to have, you're getting it twice. Mm-hmm. Or you got yeah. it twice, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you were talking uh, when we were like kind of messaging. I was telling you kind of the the theme of the episode, just kind of Ditko and his work. You were telling me um, some of the uh, early comics of his. You said that there were a lot of like kind of ghost or suspense stories. Um, what, what can you elaborate on that? Because I I've not um, heard of that um, actually, and I'm um, pretty curious. Yeah, well, you know, it's so funny. You take things, you know, like, you know, I, I look at his work and I read it and stuff and I collect it and these collections. But when you go, hey, I'd like to come on the podcast if you can. We want to talk about Ditko and his early work and such and his pre-Doctor Strange work. And I, and I actually thought about it. And it just hit me. It's like, well, you know what? He spent those, you know, first uh, almost maybe, what, eight years doing comics before he got to Marvel in the early 60s. Doing... Uh, in comics, you know, ghosts, you know, in the 50s, so it's like, okay, ghost stories, suspense, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Romance. Romance, romance sci-fi. But, yeah, like, wow, that was his training ground, uh, or at least that's where he developed uh, some of the skills for haunted houses, you know, creepy shadows, uh, ghosts, graveyards, uh, sorcery. Yeah, so it really like, well, duh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, so when he got to doing Doctor Strange, mm -hmm. it's not like he had to think about, well, how do I do a haunted house? Um, but yeah, as a young as a young cartoonist, that's what he cut his teeth on. Um, I guess like so many back, I mean, that was those were the genres that were so huge in the 50s. I mean, yeah, go look at the EC Comics guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, right off the top, you know, Dick was doing horror, you know, uh, scary stuff, monsters, zombies people killing one another uh yeah graveyards sloping shadows and mm -hmm. spider webs and yeah it's, it's funny it's all in there later obviously in dr strange that's and then he added that whole dimensional traveling and the mystic spells and all that i mean that was really wild on the dr strange era but yeah his early training ground as an early cartoonist was uh in in those uh genres yeah and uh, and you could see that a lot in uh those early like dr strange comics and um strange tales um i mean even some of the spider-man stuff are a little like spooky just um the way like um i would say like goblin or like mysterios like illusions things yeah like the that. exactly you know it's it's really interesting and it's, i'm not being one of those name dropper guys but literally because mm -hmm. of what you're talking about uh yesterday when we uh may 1st i don't know when this is airing but yeah. i was at a latino comics expo the convention i co-founded in 2011 mm -hmm. it was down here in long beach at the museum of latin america art um 
I was talking to Gil Hernandez, who was cabling there, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're just talking about he loves to um we're talking about Dick Poe and we're talking about like talking about like yeah, the early Marvel stuff, like you just said, Spider-Man was way better under him because it was all creepy. Bermuda's great. I mean, mm-hmm. but he draws everything so beautiful and pretty. Uh but he's all the Dicko stuff, yeah, it was really creepy looking. And he goes, and then all the early Marvel because they can't Marvel was coming out of doing their 50s run of monsters and and sci-fi and, and so many monsters. So by the time the, the early the earliest FF comics and the earliest Spider-Man, the only difference is like the main characters wearing like colorful spandex. But yeah, you're right. That creepiness of the art and you know. The, a lot of the monsters and the horror element, it kind of just flowed into the very early Marvel comics. And then you look at the early Marvel comics, they start getting a little more refined and then it becomes like really colorful Saturday morning uh, superhero cartoon, you know, yeah, uh, real fun stuff. So it's interesting how you brought that up. Yeah, I was going to say, it's also um, interesting to note that it was early, like, like, like the first, he's on the first like 39 issues, is that correct? 39, 36. Yeah, Doc, oh, Spider-Man? Yeah. For Spider-Man, 30, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 38 or 39. Yeah. First. Well, I, was, I had a friend that's been rereading all the uh, 60s runs from those original first couple of Marvels, so like Doctor Strange, uh, Iron Man. And of all, and of, all of them, and I, I've read them, you know, read Spider-Man, uh, Avengers, but the other ones I've kind of skipped around, but... Just from uh, the impression he was giving me, uh, I feel like Spider-Man is the most fully formed out of all the uh, the Marvel heroes because if you look at Daredevil, uh, you know some of those comics are good, but it, it feels a little bit of a knockoff of Spider-Man, or like X-Men doesn't really find its footing till like Neil Adams or like um, right. Dave Cockrum takes over uh, in the seventies. You know, I wonder like um, because we're going to get into the Marvel method, how much of, uh, you know, Dicko put into himself in these, uh, those early issues. Yeah. Really good point about yeah daredevil for one. Cause I think Bill Everett did the first few and then somebody else came aboard and then like X-Men. Yeah. Kirby did what the first 10 and then he left. Um, they weren't, maybe weren't top priority or something, but, uh, with Spider-Man, yeah, it was a two man operation, you know, Stan Lee and Steve Dicko. Um, but from everything what we what we could read or learn about, at least when you deep dive on Ditko, I mean, he had a he had a very definite plan with Spider-Man. Like in the mm-hmm. beginning, you know, the first maybe 18, 19 issues. I mean, you look at the credit pages, it says, you know, written by Stan Lee, art by Steve Ditko. But almost halfway through the series, you look at the credits again, or maybe a little over halfway point, it starts saying, uh, uh, written by Stan Lee. Actually, so Stanley gave himself two titles at that point, edited and written by Stan, plotted mm-hmm. and illustrated by Steve Ditko. It's kind of funny, right? Because Stan didn't want to just be the writer. Like, well, if Ditko gets two titles, I get, yeah. but you know, I guess Stan was, he was the editor. But yeah, so Ditko was, uh, we don't know how early he started plotting it on his own, but at one point, because um, then the, the two men weren't talking either. Um, right. There's that. So I, I think a lot of people don't know this. I mean, I think people think nowadays like the writer, you know, the writer on the comic, it's like the writer in the movie, like they've written the whole story from A to Z. Mm-hmm. Everything is in there. No, that's not the way the Marvel method worked. And Stan has even said it, you know, this is not even Stan bashing. It's like uh, we sat down. It's like me and Gene talking about a story of a character. I kind of maybe I had an idea and I give it to Gene and Gene tosses back some ideas. And okay, so the first issue, he fights a flying saucer lands and he fights an alien that comes out and kicks its butt. And then, right. so then Gene goes home and draws a story based on that. But he has, to, you know, as the artist, you have to fill out the whole story, the subplots and little side things that happen. So that's how the Marvel method worked. Um, and with Dicko, you know, um, at one point he, he was asking for, no, I'm doing this. I'm, re- I'm basically writing the plots. Mm-hmm. So that's like a plotting edit. So then when Stan would get the pages back, you know, like I said, by, well, from the beginning, you get Stan would get these pages back, a whole story with no dialogue, maybe some things on the side indication, but Stan would have to look through it and then figure out what should each character say that, that yeah. goes with the artwork that's already there. Because you're not going to go and change the artwork, really, uh, because you, the writer, well, I want this to happen. Like, okay, well, this kind of has to happen. You know, he's got to reach for the refrigerator and pull it open and then so whatever, you know, whatever. So 
you know, you have, you know, when you say, oh, he wrote the comics, it's like, well, you know, what does that mean? Does it mean, well, maybe it means he dialogued, you know, that great Stanley dialogue is unmistakable. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, so much rhythm to poetry to when we sit down and read those comics, there's a certain really nice rhythm and fun poetry and silliness to it. Mm -hmm. It's Stanley's voice that I'm reading, but um, he's riffing off the story that's already there, you know, either by Kirby or like we're talking Dicko in this case. So, um, so that explains to people who don't know, like, oh, why is it say plotted by Dicko now when it before it didn't? Yeah. So, so to your point, so Dicko always seemed to have a very definite arc of what he wanted to do with this young teenager, this mm -hmm. scrawny teenager with the spider powers, and get him to college. And it was Dicko's belief that once Peter got to college um they'd have to stop all the hijinks as far as like you know oh i got money problems and girl problems because like you know dick goes like well teenager yeah we all get the pass on that but you know you gotta i don't say man up but you gotta you know get your foot on solid ground at that point so had he stuck around because peter did graduate high school mm -hmm. right in the run um and i guess was, i don't remember exactly how many issues it was with you know dicko doing that when he's in college but when he left and Ramita came aboard. And I love Ramita's art. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, he come. Ramita did so far, uh, so far. Yeah, romance comics at mm -hmm. DC and stuff. So the book, everybody got prettier, which is great. Yeah, you know, beautiful, fantastic. Peter kind of filled out, and mm -hmm. um, everything got nicer and cleaner. But if you really look at those books, I mean, as a kid, I loved them all, and I still do. But there's a certain repeating, you know, every issue. Like Peter's always having problems, and now you know, like. I don't think we may not have seen a speculation, but I don't think you would have seen that had Dicko stayed. Yeah. Some of that stuff might have not been so relevant. I mean, you still have the great stories of action and the mm -hmm. villains and that stuff. And, the, you know, but so anyway, it's interesting. Um, it'd be interesting if he stuck around, that would they be clashing even more? And would Stan even say, hey, we got to, you know, make Peter more fallible? And then would somebody quit at that point? Anyway. Yeah. That's all speculation, but yeah, like you're saying, if you just, just go back and read the early Dicko Spider-Mans and just check out the certain, maybe it's a slow arc of Peter Parker, you know, going mm -hmm. to manhood, but um, it's, so it's interesting. It's one of those endless speculations you'll always have, but I think some of the proof is in what's there. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to think about that, though, if he stayed on, like, in some alternate, alternate right. Earth he did. <laughs> Multiverse we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. And then I was, there's a 100th, there's a 100th Spider-Man issue by Steve Dicko and Stan Lee. It's like, oh man, I want to see that. <laughs> yeah. And, and also too, I think, um, you know, uh, for Romita, Romita jumping on, it kind of like works where, uh, you know, you age with Spider-Man and then the style kind of changes, you right. know? So that's interesting to see. But um, you get out it, of that, awkward, you know, you get out of that awkward skinny teenager phase, which mm -hmm. Dicko really that down and then like okay now he's you know now peter's a male model when that happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh i went through some puberty i was gonna say though it's interesting for uh you're, you're talking about uh, some dicko's art style I, I love how lanky and uh like some of the like the lizard is uh you know some of these villains aren't really bulky they're just kind of like elongated and they have like such an interesting look to them as well yeah well you know again he's one of those guys that has such a great uh skill at drawing clothes so yeah the clothes hangs on the characters there's he knows his folds he knows his drapery and yeah i don't want to complain about the modern comics um not even mm -hmm. that modern but at one yeah. point you know somebody started making the lizard mon the lizard monstrous mm -hmm. and every book every new book every new movie he looks like godzilla now and i don't know <laughs> i like you know dicko came from a different era so he looked at the i guess again I'm just, i never heard him say this but like I think when he did the lizard, he's thinking of Lon Chaney's Wolfman. So mm -hmm. it's a man turns to lizard, lizard skin, whatever. But he's still built like a five foot ten guy. Yeah, he's not a huge monster, and the clothes isn't all ripped off. It's just he's got a lab coat. It's very Wolfman, uh, the lizard, mm -hmm. and, and I like that stuff. And I, like I said, Doc Ock was pudgy. <laughs> uh, you know, Craven was you know bulky, definitely buffed up. Yeah. Um, but you know, Dicko's faces, right? The really drawn. Like the sunken cheeks and the buggy eyes and the bags mm -hmm. on the villains and the wrinkles yeah i mean such distinct styles um yeah it's very the villains too. all the villains today remind me of like just you know any common wrestler like yeah. they're all built the exact same 
the same exact build and muscle build. Um, Dicko's guys were distinctive. Like I said, some Green Goblin, that early one you're talking about, was scrawny and, mm-hmm. and skinny and creepy and hunched over. And yeah, the cackling face. It's like, you get me excited for all these uh, early stories again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think they're pretty timeless. They're, you know, fun to revisit and read, seeing where it all started. Um, I was going to say, too, I think I was reading somewhere when I was doing some research there. Someone had like a, a high school photo of Dicko and he kind of looks like that early Peter with the glasses and the suit. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, his his nephew, Mark Dicko, he's very active on, face, on Facebook and such. And he said something like, well, every kid looked like Peter Parker in that photograph. Back yeah. Then, but, but yeah, I, I think people have identified which one was Dicko and, and there's a, the two or three shots in the one annual, uh, the one, yeah, the high school annual. Um, but yeah, the big glasses, you know, that first page of Amazing Fantasy 15, the first Spider-Man page, you know, the, the skinny Peter Parker standing there at, at the school with the people laughing at him. I mean, yeah, that's very, very much looks like that high school photograph. Um, I think he's a collared shirt with maybe a vest, you know, sweater mm-hmm. vest. And yeah, the hair and those big glasses. It's, <laughs> yeah. You draw what you know as an artist sometimes. I think Ditko was like, oh, high school kid. Okay. Oh, I remember I had, you know, again, mm-hmm. he never said that, but. You look at the photograph, you look at the drawings. Um, it's not hard to imagine that. No, definitely. And then I remember, I believe it's the first annual where there's like a self-drawing of himself and he's like asleep at his desk. You know the one I'm talking that, about? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That That's, uh, yeah, that's such a, like a rare thing. Like, wow, he drew himself in what, maybe three or four of the panels. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's, it's like, it's like such a, that's, not, that's all we had for years like no because there's no photographs yeah um, and also i think too in the all the promotional material because i think um like uh they had like a they used to have like records or stuff for the marvel marching society right i think like dicko was noticeably absent on you know like on the record or all that yeah too. yeah stanley had all you know everybody in the bullpen whatever like say something on the record and um <laughs> and I think I think even I think somebody I think sold Brodsky the production manager said something like hey Steve just slipped out the window Steve. yeah yeah I remember, <laughs> I remember listening to that I think I found it on YouTube and it's like that's the it's, a, it's pretty funny I don't know if Dick ever bought a cop got a copy of that record but I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah I'm happy to be with that and then um what can you say about his uh, non-Marvel work um I know he did Question Hawk and Dove for DC but um not as familiar with uh, the Charl- Charlton uh, characters like Mr. A. Well, what can you uh, tell yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, so Mr. was was self-published. Uh, Wally Wood, you know, the great mm-hmm. you know, 1950s artist and early Marvel artist and such. Uh, by the late 60s, Wally was like, hey, you know what? We got to make our own comics like we that we own. So he put together this uh, zine. They call it a pro zine, I think, right? A professional zine because it's mostly professionals wearing it. But independently published a book called wit's end and um yeah he would call his uh compatriots in the comic biz to contribute so Mm -hmm. dicko you know found out about it and was invited and i guess he had this idea for this mr a character um this is kind of a signature character you know because he's creator owned um dealing with you know the you know the idea of you know black and white you know what's what's justice and you know a little bit of uh Ayn Rand's uh, objectivist philosophy, uh, including and then mixed with Dicko's own personal mm-hmm. beliefs on liberty and such. Um, so yeah, he went independent uh, in the late, you know, know it might have been '68. So God, mm-hmm. I mean, what does that make, Mr. A? Almost 60 years old. Yeah, I mean that's a long record. That's a long that's time crazy. for a character. Um, but yeah, so before Marvel, he worked on Charlton, and then uh, even during the '60s, I think probably later '60s, he while he was doing Spider-Man, he would be doing Charlton when they wanted to do superheroes. So I think yeah, he revised the Blue Beetle. Mm-hmm. So it was the Beetle we've had for maybe 50 years until they uh, updated him with the um, was it Jaime Reyes. Yeah, Jaime Reyes. So, yeah, like the armor Blue Beetle. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah, at Charlton is where he worked on um, Captain Adam. Uh, and then he also created his own character there at Charlton, the question that you mentioned, um, which I think was his first foray into like doing that type of lone hero, you know, kind of that, that black and white type of thing. But because it was through Charlton Comics Code, he couldn't go too extreme. That's why I think. And then when he got a chance to do Mr. A, 
when he went, he went pure, like hundred percent with Dick, you know, Dicko wanted to do with that. Yeah. And, and then, and then, you know, after that, he, and then of course, uh, I'm sure we're talking about Dr. Strange, but after Marvel, he uh, bounced back to Charlton, did something at DC. You mentioned, I think Hawk and Dove and, uh, um, the creeper came after in the mid seventies. Right. Uh, Hawk and Dove and what's this other DC? Ca- oh, no. I think there's another oh, the creeper. one. The creeper. Yeah, the creeper. Yeah. Yeah, he came back into the creeper in the mid seventies. But yeah, he created the creeper at DC along with Hawk and Dove that same era. And then um, he got sick at one point with tuberculosis, which oh. back in the day was a horrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think he. I think that's why the Hawk and I think that's why the creeper story just stops. Maybe maybe mid book. I think if I remember. And um, Hawk and Dove as well. So yeah, I think he had two bouts with tuberculosis. So oh wow, you know he'd have to go back home to Johnstown and just uh, recover. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's a rare thing nowadays, right? But um, back then it could. I mean, life and death. You know, we may not yeah. be talking about a full career is right now if things worked out a different way for him. So right. Well, I was gonna say too. Um, yeah, I know it's um, interesting that he's uh, one of the. You know, indep- an independent comic creator for a while. I can't think of any other, off the top of my head, creators that went that route um, from that era too. I mean, besides like Will Eisner, right? Yeah, yeah, we'd have to say he's independent because yeah, he would uh, make individual deals with publishers to do his graphic novels. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but but Ditko, so he did independent in that late sixties wits and stuff. But then he'd always bounce back, you know, between either even come back to Marvel in the seventies, Adele Comics, Atlas Comics. But like in 1988 is really like a certain start. I think that's about almost the midway of his entire career. 88, 58 to 88. Yeah, then mm-hmm. he partnered with a friend of his, Robin Snyder, who was a writer and editor, I guess. And um, they kind of formed a publishing partnership where it's, it was called Ditko. I mean, Snyder Ditko. It was just them two. They didn't publish other people's books. And Dick, Snyder would publish it. He would handle the, you know, take care of the printing and distribution. Ditko would just have an outlet for from 88 till he passed away 30 years something, wow. to just do the comics that he wanted to do. And he wouldn't worry about, there wasn't much, cons- you know, there wasn't much, uh, you know, it was a low key operation. So it's not like, Oh, if we don't have certain sales, you know, we got to cancel it. Like, well, just do what you want. We'll get it out there. Low run stuff. And the, let the fans get it and find it, whatever. Um, and and throughout the life, his life, Dicko would still work for bounce around Marvel DC you know, did something at Fanagraphics once or twice, uh, yeah. something at Force. I th- but I th- oh. he had that independent home, like, for the rest of his life. So that's pretty yeah. neat. I was going to say, isn't there, like, he worked on uh, ROM Space Night? Yeah, that's uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Comic, I was like, I already knew about Dicko because I, I as, a, as a young kid. Oh, wow. I think that's one of cool. my first, this, this is a small paperback, so in case people don't think it's not a full book. As a kid, I could read these tiny word balloons, mm-hmm. but oh my God, I was looking for it before <laughs> we went on. It's like, man, because you know, the page is small. It's like, well, my, it's my cell phone. Someone just tells my cell phone. Wow. So imagine how small the word yeah. balloons are, the dialogue. Sheesh. But as a kid, you know, you're a small kid, you're just reading this. So this is my earliest Ditko. And when I started buying comics in the 70s, you know, like, oh, look, uh, Steve Ditko was doing Rom Space Night after mm-hmm. Selby So things like that. Yeah. I would really love, uh, I have to look up some of the, those comics because I think the idea of just like uh, Rom, like this 80s comic just drawn by like Dicko, it's like this other era artist, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, hmm? it, it's funny because Rom, the storyline, I mean, it was based on a toy, but it has like a 1950s vibe to it because it's like, it's actually ahead of its time, the plot by Bill yeah. Lowe. It's, it's these aliens, the dire, the dire Wraiths, which is an interesting name. They, uh, it's like the scrolls, whatever, or X Files, where they're here amongst us, but they assume, you know, human disguise like you and me, or scientists or politicians, and mm-hmm. they're all over the world. So Rom comes from another planet, and he's got to eradicate him. Um, so yeah, like you said, he's another what do you say, an t- artist from another era type guy. Yeah. But that whole B B pl- that B movie plot of Rom, it kind of works, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think I made that connection before. I kind of that's kind of cool you said that. Yeah, and then too, um, his his style and art were always evolving, changing. Um, I mean, he was working up until his death, as well. Yep. So it's just interesting to see his art, you know, his art style just keep evolving too. You know, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of flack or commentary about um, the actual, like the women, the clothes, or even the men, mm-hmm. even the kids. 
it's like okay it's 1980s now or 1990s and like uh yeah people look like they're you know it's like 1958 1963 yeah uh, like like he wouldn't really adapt to whatever the styles of the clothes were of the day for the most <laughs> yeah. part um so yeah there's a really interesting especially looking back at someone that worked from the 80s which is now 30 years old there's a certain timelessness about it because like wait is this in the 50s or is this mm -hmm. done in five so um but his art simplified you know into his later years last 10 15 years um it's almost again i don't know it was almost like he was drawing with a ballpoint pen because hmm. everything had a th the same thin line Mm -hmm. um and it was doing you know the books were published in black and white so yeah i mean i'd be i'd love to get some of those originals if they're actually even drawn on eight and a half by 11 paper um i i got the sense that they were because you know like they're almost drawn to the size of the actual comic that was published but i couldn't say for sure but um but yeah even in with a simplified art style less sometimes less detail sometimes not in his later last 10 or five years you can look at his 50s work 60s you know it's Ditko. yeah like the body the uh, the way he builds bodies the facial the way the heads are built the way the eyes are you know and and the backgrounds the buildings and such yeah he's got an unmistakable style i mean you know you get a lot of guys who kind of draw very curbious mm -hmm. over yeah. the years and there's some really good ones um you very rarely see Ditko-esque uh artist or Oh, Gene Colan, for that matter. I mean, that guy's super stylized. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. But the influence, like people like me and so many others. I mean, I mean, obviously, I don't look at Dick Colan like, okay, let me try to draw like that. But you know, I looked at that stuff so much when I'm drawing. I mean, I, I, subconsciously, it's just like, yeah, you know, I like I like the way I like bending the hand on the character. <laughs> you know, like the human hand only goes that far, but I like that extra maybe ten degrees. It just looks cool and yeah. Oh, and or the or the feet whatever the ankle um yeah it's, uh, that's a whole topic there. that's really interesting to be talked about like how does an artist take an influence from another artist why do they take it do they know they're taking it you know when they see the final result are they happy with that or you know say so anyway but that's they would come back one day with a psychologist and oh yeah about. it's like a whole like subconscious uh topic right like to study or something yeah yeah i think it is Okay, kind of uh, covering the other uh, character in his Marvel career, Doctor Strange. He co-created it uh, with Stan Lee in uh, Strange Tales. Um, it was a backup, or excuse me, I believe it was a backup um, issue in that comic. It was a uh, one ten. Um, five pages. Five pages, one. yeah. And it's like kind of this, uh, like it reminded me more of. Um, amazing fantasy than anything else right where it's just like this twilight zone sort of like one-off story right right with the twist he's astral projecting himself while this guy's trying to like shoot him you know yeah i know it's it's interesting yeah i reread it i reread it before the our episode here and um yeah i forgot it had that little it's yeah it's a weird mystery story with supernatural but it's, that's kind of like a crime crime comic element like mm -hmm. whenever someone shoots somebody to cover up the crime that he killed that guy but um so i gotta say you know i wouldn't get my dicko uh street cred if i didn't let this pass so spider-man dick spider-man co-creator stanley you can definitely say that um not i mean you personally but yeah we could say that yeah. but dr strange stan you know stan blows it sometimes when he when he tells the truth um he wrote a letter to you know the fanzines in the 60s so everybody knows like you know kids teenagers even college young college people zines were really popular fanzines right like oh mm -hmm. let's write a little magazine articles about our favorite comic books coming out um so stan you know would have a good you know as a good he was a good editor he was a good pr guy he would write to these fanzines and you know give them maybe little article little tidbits of what's coming up whatever and 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 it's been reprinted many times so i'm not making this up yeah. Um, he told this one fanzine, like, hey guys, so we got something new coming out, you know, in whatever, Strange Tales 110, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, something like we got, you know, we'll try it out. You know, it's kind of this black magic character. Mm -hmm. uh, see how it is. Goes, it was, you know, he ends the thing, it was Steve's idea. Um, so, you know, everybody jumps on that, like, right there. He, he's, he said it. Now, 
Stanley may sometimes say things that aren't 100% true, but he's not going to go and lie about, mm-hmm. like, give the, another guy credit, you know, um, about that. So, yeah, uh, we don't know the exact uh, scenario where Steve brought it in. Like, hey, this is my idea. Um, I think I think it's kind of accepted that maybe Stan came up with the name. And right. then some people speculate, like, is Doctor Strange called Steven, Stefan? Stefan Strange, is that some type of little, like, not a jab, but a little like uh, yeah. funny. It's Steve. Like, oh, this is weird. Whatever. It's a cool name, Stephen Strange. It's got that Marvel Stanley alliteration thing. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to put that out there in case people hadn't heard that. It's just it's just not like Stanley had the idea for this particular character and gave it to Steve to draw and and help him with. It's kind of like the other way around, where mm-hmm. the artist came up with had this concept of this magic guy, and then um, but yeah, obviously again, like I said, Stan's dialogue. You know, naming the probably naming a lot of the names. Dormammu sounds so Stan Lee. You know, the name. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, has an Excelsior sort of ring to it. Yeah, uh, so flamboyant. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know um, from that like particular zine that that that's what Stan said because. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I always find it really interesting because I, you know, I love Stan and you know I don't want to like bash Stan, but it's interesting when. Like, cause there's like Stan Lee, the, you know, the guy in the Marvel bullpen. And then there's like Stan Lee, the persona, like the character that right. was kind of playing to the fans. And then when that kind of like, it was kind of like the, you know, when those like, uh, when the fate, when the character kind of, uh, you know, goes away and, you know, he's just talking about like just the early days and everything. And like, yeah, he's a little like more honest and like, not honest, but a little more like, uh, you know, one to like talk about certain stuff and everything. So always just find that like really like interesting i guess yeah yeah it's, it's definitely interesting yeah i mean you know about stan yeah he has different tones i mean usually it's always on mm-hmm. um as far as like yeah i had these ideas for all these characters and then sometimes yeah sometimes i hit you know sometimes he slips i mean i don't know how yeah. to put it i mean i don't want to go over too old history but the first spider-man film sam raimi 2002 probably yeah yeah it was this nice hardcover the making of spider-man movie book they make those all the time and i remember the intros by you know he'd write, always write the intro to anything marvel anything spider-man related mm-hmm. but is it you know he's writing about spidey and everything and then he goes yeah me and dicko created him and you know it, it's like when he was writing that he, he probably was so elated at that point again i'm totally speculation but i can mm-hmm. see where this film is about to debut right so he writes the intro for this hardcover you know months before I think everybody sensed in the air like this thing is going to be a monster hit like Spidey is finally going to be put on the movie map yeah you know like like Batman and Superman at that time and when I read that I just go wow that's interesting like he sounds like he's almost sitting out on his patio having some lemonade and yeah we created that you know we did it other times he doesn't say that so yeah I mean again not to bash him but I'm just saying that is that what I'm saying is true. Sometimes you can say it that they co-created it, and sometimes it's always like, "No, I'm the writer. I came up with. I feel the guy yeah. created it." Or he'll say, uh, "I consider him the co-creator." You know that. Look that up, folks. The uh, In Search of Steve Ditko, That's... a documentary from the BBC from mm-hmm. probably that era. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not Stan's oh. best moment, but thank God that. <laughs> Thank God that that's caught on videotape, so no one can say you're lying. He didn't say that. Blah blah blah. But yeah, like you said, you know, he wrote. Stan wrote all you know all the dialogue that I I've ever read from a classic Marvel comic. If his name's on it, he wrote it, and it's like, yeah, I love. That's how I remember these stories. Like, oh yeah, the way Jameson is screaming or Ben Grimm is talking. <laughs> it's because Stan was like the Mel Blank in a way. Like he had the kind of like thousand voices that he had to give. A lot of these different characters but um mm-hmm. but anyway yeah that's and then um i was gonna say it's really interesting um kind of talking about the personalities and like kind of the aesthetics of each comic because you know looking up looking at those like early doctor strange comics um i think like people like i don't know if anyone asked stan or asked like ditko like um like i don't know if they asked them like oh have like have you tried any like L- like something like a drug or like lsd because they're kind of like that weird like trippiness of that era and i think like famously like ditko was like very like straight edged uh you know i don't think yeah. he didn't really you know obviously partake but it really kind of captured that uh that aesthetic of that that era you know yeah it's you no know, yo know, that that's been talked about a lot over the years and uh, yeah he'd be like you know 
I'm sure he was like surprised to hear that. No, that was that's not what we did. I think uh, Ralph Macchio. Mm-hmm. I think on that, I think on that documentary, which we really got to recommend to people, maybe yes. look at or, um, Instagram. Of course, I think Ralph, Ralph Macchio, not the actor, the uh, editor. <laughs> yeah, he's nineties. He's on it. He sounds like a great guy, and he's telling a story. I think where he actually talked to Dicko in the eighties at the office. He's like, hey, you know, the fan, you know, people were saying that yeah, you guys did drugs because the books and everything. And no, we didn't do that stuff. Um, and I believe it. It's only just covering up. Like, oh no, no, I don't, I don't talk about that. No, I mean, I think he was. I think Dick was so straight led, straight edge, kind of like Kirby. They were so straight. Mm-hmm. They were punk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, they were both. Uh, they have a lot of similarities too. I mean, they they were both in the military. Um, you know, they yeah. they both kind of clashed with Stan a little bit in getting their their work credited. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's kind. Of, it's unfortunate. Yeah, the the three. The three engines of Marvel is Stan Lee, the editor, writer, mm-hmm. and then Kirby, the big chunk of the bulk of the early stuff. Yeah. And Dick, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange. And yeah, uh, they did not live happily ever after. You know, the three of them, you know, yeah. hanging out and stuff. And um, yeah, Kirby had his own problems. I'm sure you probably may cover that in episodes. And yeah, Dicko, he said to him and Stan, he said Stan quit talking to him. Mm-hmm point maybe Stan didn't like the you know Dicko getting plotter credit or whatever but then at one point Steve has said um and this gets rid of that whole Green Goblin ridiculous story that yeah you know oh Stan wanted this Steve wanted something else and that it, Steve has written it's been written about it came out in this newsletter through Robin Snyder that Robin Snyder would put out periodically under uh, the comics was a newsletter Dicko said yeah uh why would I want to work with someone who doesn't talk to me so so one day, you know, Dicko shows up to the Marvel offices, uh, goes to the production guy, Sol Brodsky, with a big, thick stack of new pages of Spider-Man. Here you go, here you go, Saul. That's my last page. I quit. I always used to joke, like, man, imagine Saul Brodsky's got to go up to Stan's office. Because, <laughs> you know, there's no forewarning. Like, yeah. Uh, Steve's gone. Mm-hmm. What? And then, what, a year later, maybe? And, Jack's gone, mm-hmm. so, so that's that's a yeah that we all want to see the Marvel documentary series, yeah, you know, or like yeah, like a guys. or like the like the uh, televised version of that because that seems like something out of like Mad Men or something. <laughs> that's what everybody says. It's that era, and yeah, I mean, office, office, egos, politics, personalities. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hell with the character. Yeah, we all love the characters. I'm gonna go see the the, the next Doctor Strange. Yeah, man, like those of us who really read, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I'm sure a lot of us are thankful for Tomorrow's publishing. They put out a alter ego back issue, like covering the, the, the behind the scenes stories of the people who created the stuff. I mean, that mm-hmm. is to me, I mean, I, yeah, we love the comics. Don't get me wrong. It's popcorn and it's great candy and stuff. But as a creator myself and just as a fan, and it's fascinating mm-hmm. the people, who they were. How they work together, how they clash together, how yeah. they work together again later and broke up again. So anyway. Yeah, and I mean there's a whole like interesting mythology there because like a lot of official, you know, what have you, like novel or um, biographies or something by Marvel. I mean, they kind of like san you know, make it a little nicer, they kind of exclude right. some stuff. You know, um, one thing, not to bring up you know negativity again. So sure. when when you know, Dicko passed away, and I think a few months later, Stan passed. Yeah. Which is very like, wow, that's because Kirby passed almost what seventeen years before. Yeah. And then it's had Steve and Stan, and then, then they both go so shortly. But and again, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like, I'd see a lot of fans, and again, I think a lot of these fans they've only grown up with Marvel movies, so they believe like, oh, Stan would there. <laughs> They'd be these tribute drawings where you know Stan is walking into you know on the on the heavenly cloud. There's Jack. There's Steve, and Stan shows up. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, they're reunited once again. And it's like, that's not the, you know, these guys were not dear friends, the three mm-hmm. of them, you know. Post- yeah, they're just like coworkers, you know. Yeah, but the, but because of some of the issues that Jack had with Stan and mm-hmm. Steve had with Stan, I mean, they, they weren't, you know, they didn't hate each other. But it's just the idea, the mentality that, the, that this new era of fans have because they see Stan on the big screen in every movie and they think he created everything and, Oh, he gave these stories to the artists, and they're all friends. Uh, and stuff like that would always just like that's just kind of weird. I mean, yeah. I know they're memorializing them, but they, they weren't like buddy buddy. It, it, 
there was not nice things that happened between them um uh because you know the artist jack and stan it's jack mm-hmm. and steve there was things i was very unhappy with of how they're treated and this and that but yeah but again like you said earlier i, I can say i love stan I, I as a kid mm-hmm. i loved him i loved his work i love seeing him when he'd show up rare times yeah. or whatever but I guess it's like I guess to me, and I don't have my parents are still married after sixty something years. But I would guess it might be like having divorced parents. Mm. So something happened between the two parents. We don't know; it could be different issues, and they break up, and there's that turmoil. But then you settle down. Like, well, you know, I still love mom, and I still love dad. They don't <laughs> get along, and they're not going to. And I have different relationship with each one. But so I kind of look at Stan like that, um, and and Jack and Steve. Um, but to be honest, like, you know, I can look at Stan and see, I can list off more shortcomings, whatever you yeah. want to call it. But again, I don't want to piss off your fans and I'm not here to bash Stan. I, oh, I, no, just, yeah. I just feel I have, and a lot of us do, we, we've been able to pull back and over the years really identify each of these three guys and their work and where things stand here and there. But, um, you know, I'm sure in the Doctor Strange film, it's going to say the credit created by Stanley based on the comic by Stanley Steve Ditko and it's going to be it's going to be a fun moment and um just kind of I was just curious um just kind of your like reading some of the you know biographies or just the anything the Ditko family has has said um because they're really kind of similar just looking at their backstory like uh Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby did they have like any correspondence or like interaction with each other oh Steve and Jack yeah I was just curious (laughs) Yeah, n- nothing I've ever read, like, you know, like an ongoing thing. I mean, only that they, you know, maybe run into each other. Um, well, you know, it's actually Jack left New York, what, in the late 60s, very early 70s. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know what, actually, probably when he never saw again, um, he, I, yeah, I guess you don't see him maybe, what, at the Marvel offices, whenever, yeah. you know, and they didn't work in the office, so they'd go home and bring the stuff in. So, um, yeah, honestly, I can't say... That, that's a good question because no one ever talks about like there's certainly no photographs of them too so yeah i don't think they had any um you know uh friendship as far as like hanging out whatever um th- there was a time where jack mm-hmm. when he left when jack left the dc i mean marvel late 60s and he went over to dc you know starting to set up all his eventually new gods but you know like, hey let's get kirby to do stuff i i think he, yeah there was this there's this one image online where Jack was going to propose a uh, some like I think it's called Super Mag, or some people say it was called Uncle Carmine's Fat City Comics, but I love that okay. title. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good. Yeah, is that Uncle Car- Carmine Infantino publisher? But Car- Uncle yeah. Carmine's Fat City Comics, like wow, that sounds so bizarro. But uh, he wanted to put together some type of really um, special, not just a comic, but like some type of magazine comic, mm-hmm. high end or something, new, you know, bigger distribution. And there's this one image of his Steve Dicko uh, proposed, like Dicko would have had a storyline in there. Um, I forgot the character's name. Oh man, I feel bad. But anyway, so I mean, you know, Kirby knew of Dicko and supposedly he might was gonna, he was wanted to invite him over for this venture, but then DC never approved that, uh, that magazine thing. But then luckily Kirby went on to do New Gods instead and his, his whole fourth world. But yeah. yeah, to your question about, you know, them, you know, corresponding or uh, not that i'm aware of and it doesn't seem like there's anything's ever come up that they were you know pen pals or even even phone call you know frequent mm-hmm. phone calls them. it doesn't seem like that was anything that that happened yeah gotcha yeah because i always just find it really like interesting how kind of similar their careers went where they both like uh dropped their uh you know dropped the the marvel book they were working yeah. went somewhere else both went to dc created their own kind of like uh comic line you know it's just really interesting and, and then go back to marvel by the you know by the mid late 70s and then maybe bounce yeah, and at that point just kind of bounce back and forth but i mean you know um yeah i mean is that a testament to stan lee that his two main creative artists like both <laughs> out i'll let the fa- i'll let the fan yeah. out there chew that one over but yeah definitely yeah i'm sure like the fans talked about it and like because i was gonna say the the, all the if you read like the um like the letters page there's that was like the twitter of the 1960s absolutely yeah Yeah, that's a great stan lee was um you know in his because he would do the editorial pages uh yeah he'd answer the letters pages but also like he'd have the stan lee soapbox 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that very is much that is very much Twitter. You know, he's tweeting out uh just ideas and thoughts and stuff and stuff. So no, he gets a lot of credit for being real savvy uh with mm-hmm. the public. And and that that's part of the appeal of those Marvel comics. That's why the kids, because it's kids reading them mostly it by the millions, maybe at that time, college, young college kids, high school kids, younger kids. I mean, just attracted to these cool looking comics. Um you know, there's all these stories about uh, back to the historical, historic, the uh, history aspect of the comics, like DC. You know, in the '60s, or look at their like before Neil Adams came and changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Rest in peace. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That was a shocker. And you look at the Marvel comics, the early Marvel comics. The editors at DC, like, ah, these books are so ugly looking. They're garish. You know, big giant word balloons on the. They're talking about the covers. Mm-hmm. Big explosive titles and we're ballooning here and you got to read this kids the biggest story of the year and the art yeah. and, but these old stuff you guys at dc they didn't get it well yeah why i think the kids are buying all these ugly look marvel was punk mm-hmm. marvel was punk rock compared to dc in the early 60s they were underground they were alternative they were punk rock they were new wave whatever you want to call it and the kids flock to that stuff mm-hmm. so credit to the artist, uh, the ideas behind it, you know, standing his crazy word balloons and captions. I mean, that sold the stuff and that made Marvel the hot, the hot property in those early years, you know, and I think it's propelled them all the way, you know, to the modern era. And then of course now I got the whole movie segment mm-hmm. of Marvel, whole different animal. And you know, now everyone in the world, I, when I hear people at the supermarket, I was <laughs> at the supermarket weeks ago uh-huh. and I probably had like, um, I must have had a Marvel t-shirt on, like, you know, like classic Bronze Age characters. Mm-hmm. And like, she saw it. She saw it. She said, oh, I can't wait for the new season of Scarlet Witch. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, like just a, you know, regular person. Like, and that's fat. It just, it's trippy to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not hating a Scarlet Witch TV show. Like, but you know what I mean? Like, it's so mainstream. People are saying, mm-hmm. oh, they're going to watch Hawkeye next month whenever it comes out. Or they're talking about Moon Knight yeah it's like that just trips me out yeah know. like the most obscure like moon knight's yeah. like yeah see less because yeah i mean like uh maybe like 20 10 years ago like it felt like even then it was kind of like a little more obscure a little more like less yeah less mainstream right right because yeah. you know now we've had 20 years of marvel movies i think it's like okay they've already established the top 10 guys characters as mainstream but now we're hawkeye we're scarlet witch we're vision we're moon knight like wow yeah, that's crazy. Let's get, let's get down to Jack of Hearts. Then I'll then I'll get a, <laughs> I'll get a Disney subscription if they can pull that off. If he looks correct in everything. Yeah, Jack of Hearts and like uh, God, like uh, Ron. Oh, they don't have the rights to Ron, but I don't know. Ron yeah, no, you're right. Guy. Yeah, we all realize that. Unfortunately, damn it, that's not going to happen. Most likely, never know. But kind of going off of that, you know, kind of wrapping up the the show and everything. Um, you know, we're kind of talking about some of the early Doctor Strange and. Uh, the way his personality is and the uh, the way it is in the movies are such such different uh, beasts almost because it's like he has this like stoicism yeah. in those early comics. He's really like kind of like, you know, they're saying it's, they described it like a black, like black magic. There's kind of like a taboo sort of right um, feel to him, I would say. And, um, you know, so it's so different to see him in the movies because it's like, yeah, I mean, they are jokey, but he's like a little more like uh, a little more warm, a little like more cumberbatchy, I guess. Do you have any like uh, thoughts on like the adaption? Well, just like the Spider-Man first movie, Sam Raimi, 2020, 2002, Toby, um, mm-hmm. I love that film. I know people say the second one's their favorite with Doc Ock. And, you know, yeah, and I love that one so much. It's very good. No, uh-huh. it is. That's but the first one, like, I can't, you know, to me, like, whoa, they made a $80 million version of Amazing Fantasy 15. Mm-hmm. I mean, the origin, like the Spider-Man origin comic story, I always thought was probably about the best, what, 10, 12 page comic ever made. I mean, because the story is such yeah. a fable. It's such a lesson, like, you dumb jerk, you know, your uncle died because you got cocky the minute mm-hmm. you got your powers and your costume. It's such a great lesson. Um, and that's in the movie. Yeah, and, every yeah, every panel in that original comic is just like iconic and yeah, know. and 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 Raimi caught that. So with the Doctor Strange movie, it's like wow, they kept the part, they kept the origin. Like yeah, he's a jerk. 
Mm-hmm. Stephen Strange is the arrogant jerk in the beginning, you know, cocky, whatever, and you know, you know, just pay up, pay the bill, whatever. Um, and then he has a transformation when he crashes and he gets humbled and he's broken, literally broken inside yeah. and outside. And he's and and desperate. A man of science is so desperate at that point, he can't get medical help for his hand. He goes to, you know, supernatural elements to try to heal him. Um, but that's right. That's right from the comic. So I appreciate that because uh, some of the origins, they change in, you know, from movie to comic in the, mm-hmm. any, any movie. Um, so I appreciate that. Like, yeah, we got that arrogant Dr. Strange. So it's a better story arc. He's something in the beginning of the film and then he's different. Um, I mean, I get tired of, in general, the jokey Marvelness, but um, yeah. Dr. Strange, he doesn't start that way. So um, good for them for making him li- unlikable as he's supposed to be in the beginning you know so yeah i did enjoy the film yeah no it's great i mean um because that yeah we were just talking about before the show just kind of you know appreciate uh no way home uh which we're fans of just like course correcting spider-man because he's like just a little too iron man-esque you know like he doesn't have the same problems he does in those original comics even though i like the marvel trilogy enough but yeah there's certainly a lot of critiques to be had for sure I mean, he's a very appealing actor, you know, the young teenage Peter Parker, like you get that back, you know, in, in the film. But yeah, I was never, it always bothered me all the, you know, the billionaire's uh, apprentice thing and, you know, mm-hmm. da, da, da. But um, yeah, like you said, of course, I was really surprised the ending of the, of the Spider-Man film, um, the third one, it's like, wait a minute, is that a costume in the corner? And like, I can't believe they did this. And it was yeah. exciting. But at the same time, it's like, you know, not to criticize that movie, but mm-hmm. my, my problem with that, even though it was fun seeing the cameos, that was like a big deal. Like, wow. The idea that, you know, a superhero has a personal problem, like everybody knows who I am, which of course is miserable if they, but that the, the source of Supreme would screw with our mind. He's screwing <laughs> with your mind, my mind, yeah. six million minds by making us forget one thing. Uh-huh. And it's not the most tragic thing in the history of the world. We obviously yeah. get a hundred horrible world tragedies. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry for Peter Parker that his life screwed up. Everybody knows who he is, but like, I, like after I saw the film, I liked it. And then that immediate, it's one of those things where the the, comp, the plot is so complex and it turns on a little thing and it kind of falls apart, not falls apart, but it's like, that's such a, seems like it's such an unethical thing for the mm-hmm. sources to do. Um, but you know, if you gloss treat it like a comic and just gloss over it like well yeah. i want to enjoy the whole thing and then mm-hmm. the next that comes up so yeah also i really appreciate in because I, I get really tired of this critique for dr strange um where it's like you know uh, especially in the comics i remember whenever he was in an event he was in an event book or like crossing over they always be like he's like this deus ex machina character and it's like i don't really think he is because there's like limits and like kind of boundaries of his like spells and should be yeah i mean i think it really depends on the writer like i don't know it's like writing superman where people say say it's difficult so like well if you don't know how to use him you know right i mean superman the majority of his life the first 50 years yeah he could you know spin the world around or you know whatever you know he'd always have a new superpower and it is very convenient but um yeah good writer can hopefully establish but then thing with comics nowadays i mean like you get a new writer on dr strange they make a big thing about it they read not hey when they renumber the book number one yeah just for this writer he Mm -hmm. does they do a 12 issue arc 24 maybe but i doubt it they Mm -hmm. do 12 and they leave and they get to trade paperbacks so they get the residuals in their set and then the new writer comes in oh i'm gonna retool it the spells work so i mean you know if you're gonna ask me if I read any current Doctor Strange or anybody FF, I know I don't. I haven't read him for I don't know 20, 30 years. I mean, yeah. Um, I love the characters that I I love the comics that I loved when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I love that Spider Man. I love that. But I'm not one of these guys who can read Iron Man for fifty years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know that it gets rebooted nowadays. That's the word with a new writer every arc. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I, character like that doesn't have interest for me. It's like. Well, I don't know. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's just it's like a bicycle that everybody just rides around on it. Yeah. I think that's also good to kind of like step away from the characters too. Cause I've like, I've like, you know, collected Batman for God, like 20 something years. And like, 
you know, there's certain certain arcs or whatever that just aren't right. for me. I mean, like I'm aware of them. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Right. It's, it's also nice to just like step away and then when you see something like I don't know, fans when they like read Hush or something by Jim Lee, they're like, oh, that's cool, and then they kind of flock back. It's kind of like revisiting like your hometown or like a friend, you know? Right. I right. think that there's like a beauty to that almost, you know? Yeah, but yeah, the break is important. You're right, and you come back to it because you're kind of hungry for it. It's like you know what? I haven't read any, I haven't read a good stretch of Batman for ten years, and like, oh, dude, I like this run or whatever run you like. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess uh, last question for you: Do you have any uh, recommendations for any Doctor Strange comics um, people might not be aware of? Uh, so of course the Ditko ones will be the obvious one, uh, but uh, I really like the stuff Gene Colan, the artist, uh, did. He had two runs. One, I think Roy Thomas wrote it in the late 60s. That's a point where Doctor Strange had a mask. Believe that. Believe oh, yeah. A Is full it... black mask with eyes, and I think you can see his teeth somehow. Yeah. I've never um, heard the origin of that. Is it just kind of... I heard a dumb reason. I, th I think they said literally the sales were sagging, so I think they figured, well, give him a mask so it's, um, it looks like a superhero. Like That actually sounds so dumb. <laughs> And probably, it's probably true, like at least that era of comics, they're still kind of kid oriented. So, um, but Gene Cole is fantastic art, and Roy Thomas did some pretty wild stories. I got an omnibus of that stuff, and then uh, Gene Colan came back in the mid 70s, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of like when he's doing Dracula, if you really like, his, oh, yeah, Gene Colan, those just dark shadows that's the best way to describe his art a lot of billowy smoke and black shadows. That was a good, nice Doctor Strange run. So uh, past that, I can't tell you, you know, into the 80s onwards, I can't honestly say I, I can think of too many Doctor Strangers I've read, but mm -hmm. dig into some of that old stuff. Look up Gene Colan and try to find some collections with either of his eras, 60s or 70s, you know, I hopefully you will too. Yeah, yeah. Um, try to use like something like a Marvel app or get them off Amazon, you know. Right, uh, Marvel app or yeah, Amazon or eBay if it's, they're no longer in print. Yeah, it's frustrating to me when I, you know, I want a certain story arc, and mm -hmm. it's like ah, the book's not in print. I mean, I guess they can't keep every book in print. Yeah, but the ones I want are never in print, and they're a hundred bucks on Amazon. Or yeah, like, who wants that? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess wrapping up, Javier. Um, you know, thank you so much for your time for uh, uh, imparting us with your wisdom and like the expertise of uh, kind of this like all the Dicko backstory and everything. I always uh, appreciate talking to to you with that and everything it's always like insightful um yeah sure and it was fun for me i mean yeah you rekindled a lot of memories or things i hadn't considered exactly so that's all yeah it's always good to have a nice little conversation with somebody else on one particular topic because there's always different ways new things come up oh, definitely and is there anything uh, you want to promote or um kind of plug before we let you go the, yeah, the, the the most recent book I just did, and I debuted it last weekend at the Expo, Latino Expo. Oh, nice. So I have this, um, my character El Muerto, I've been doing 24 years. It's the original El Muerto, folks. Um, nice. This is a collection of, of the first three issues from 1998, uh, 2004, 2008. Mm -hmm. They've been out of print, you know, what, 15 years, whatever, 20 years. So they're in a collection, pretty, you know, pretty reasonable, 80-page giant talking about dc comics right it's a little homage to the old batman 80 page giants um so this is available on amazon my books are on amazon if you look look up el muerto origins javier hernandez they can see it um uh, i'll put it in my web shop but uh i know people like amazon because free shipping if they have prime so i can't compete with that i still get i get my cut of it don't worry so that's good um, yeah yeah you can do it through there um so that's the latest thing and i'm working on the second el muerto graphic novel and um you know, the inevitable follow-up to the Dickozine. You know, there's always more to talk about, so I don't know when I'll get that done, but I'd like to do something else with Dicko. Yeah, yeah, in due time, but no, I always enjoy checking out your work. I'm going to have to support that and buy it, um, especially considering uh, both from uh, Whittier. It's good to also uh, support the hometown, too, you know, local comedy. Yeah, yeah. No other Nixon's place not, like it. Nixon's not the only thing we're famous for. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say that's uh, the most notorious resident, I, I feel. I probably would, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, there, there, there's that part of him, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but then, like, we put a president in the White House. I mean, that, you know. Yeah. I mean, 
How many presidents are there? Is it 40, 30, 38? Yeah. So how many cities in the country can say that they put a president in the White House? Anyway, yeah, I don't want to get all political. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah, but there's yeah. a variety too. Cool, cool. And then uh, Javier, where can uh, people find you at social media wise? Uh, well, Instagram seems to be the most popular, or at least, you know, very popular. So yeah, Javier Los Comics. Um, I imagine I'll have a link on this later. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'd, 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 push, I'd recommend people check that. I'm always up to, I'm always posting. Uh, remember, I said in the beginning, I do like social media. So um, always updating people on my work, what I'm working on, what I'm doing, and whatever upcoming events. Cool, cool. Be sure to follow you there. Um, and you can follow me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, G9892. You can follow the Waffle Press on Twitter, at the Waffle Press, on Instagram, at the Waffle Press Podcast. Um, we're on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and YouTube. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We've been professionally unprofessional. Thank <laughs> you.